Yesterday afternoon, Peter and I decided to go for a walk in Regent's Park, one of our regular routes for taking a walk and for doing our daily step count, of course. And unlike many such walks that we go on when we always seem to get on to talking about the church in some way, shape or form, we decided that our topic of conversation for this walk would be possible holiday destinations for next summer. A number of places were mentioned, along with a number of options as to how we might travel to the set places. Could we justify going on an aeroplane when in church we regularly speak about our carbon footprint? Would a long train journey, possibly to Europe, be a better option? And then when we get somewhere to that destination, yet undecided, would we stay in an all-inclusive hotel? That sounds rather nice. Or what about a self-contained cottage or something else? We haven't reached any conclusions yet about where we might go or how we will get there. When we got home, we sat down, had a cup of coffee, we turned on the television and watched some adverts. I don't usually watch adverts with much, you know, remembering as to what's flashing before me. But there was one for the Trussell Trust. You may have seen it. They were asking people to consider giving five pounds to help to feed an individual or a family. Within half an hour of us thinking about our holiday destination, I was brought up short, wondering what I give or could give to such a food bank in our local area, more than perhaps what we give on Harvest Sunday. I don't class myself to be rich, although I can choose to eat sometimes at a restaurant and I can have a conversation about which destination to choose for a holiday. So perhaps in the world's eyes, I am richer than I think I am. Imagine though, having no choice or having to make the choice between dental treatment for yourself to alleviate painful toothache or feeding your family. This was the choice one woman had to make. And imagine, if you can, taking out a light bulb to move it from one room to another in order to provide light in different places in your home, either to save the cost of light bulbs or to reduce the electricity usage and experience of a number of families. These two stories of real struggles in families where budgets are tight come from the joint public issues team and church at the margins. Sometimes the parable that we've heard this morning is called dives and Lazarus. Dives being the Latin word apparently, meaning rich man. Although interestingly, it is not the rich man who is named in this story, but Lazarus, the poor beggar who sits at the gate. To name someone gives them some status, some power, 
And in Luke's telling of this story, he turns things upside down. Rather than giving the name, the power to the rich man, Luke offers that status instead to Lazarus. Lazarus and indeed Abraham are the only two people in any of the gospel parables to be named. More usually we hear of a rich man, a sower, a woman and so on which shows an interesting contrast, particularly in the context of this passage between someone who is rich and someone who is poor. This poor man has spent his earthly life sitting at the gate of the rich man, and yet the rich man has never been bothered about him, hardly even noticed him, chosen to ignore him for Lazarus was worth nothing to him. It reminds me a little bit of my favourite Agatha Christie thriller stories, which I enjoy watching on television, where it's usually those characters like the servant, the maid, the gardener, who are never really noticed for who they are and for what they do. And yet it is often they who hold the key to the mystery and possibly even they who, being quite unnoticed, have committed the fictitious crime. So back to Lazarus. Lazarus was destitute. He was covered with sores and so hungry that he wished to eat the food which fell from the rich man's table. He was soothed only by the dogs licking his sores. Indeed, they showed more care and humanity to Lazarus than the man who had the means to make him more comfortable. The opening part of the parable challenges us to ask who are the invisible or excluded people in our society or in our faith? And how do we seek them out and welcome and include them. A few years ago, I was challenged by the Reverend Indigit Bogle, a former president of the Methodist Conference, founder of the Cities of Sanctuary movement, and the 2018 recipient of the World Methodist Peace Award. He came here to Hind Street to give one of the Hugh Price Hughes lectures. Before giving that lecture, we were walking along Marylebone High Street and he greeted someone who was sitting begging on the street. He then told me of an occasion when he was going into a church to lead a service and there was a man sitting just outside the church, at the gate if you like. Indigit told the man that he was going in to lead that service and asked what he would wish for Indigit to say to the congregation if he was given the chance. The man requested that people don't just ignore him. So that was the message that Indigit preached. And he commented that when he sees someone on the streets begging, he at least offers them a greeting. Since that day, I have tried to do the same although I admit I sometimes find it quite hard. 
Opening our eyes to see the people in need around us involves facing the fact that there are no easy answers. We can't immediately solve all the complex problems gripping all people in our society. But all are human beings made in God's image with thoughts and feelings about their situation. We can at least have the courtesy to notice them and perhaps even to listen to their stories. In the passage from Luke, Lazarus, the poor beggar, is given some value. He is named. Again, from the report from the Joint Public Issues Team, it speaks of valuing people who are experiencing poverty. It says, the Methodist Church at the Margins programme has at its centre the belief that God is already at work in communities at the economic margins. That people battling poverty are wonderfully created in God's image. And that without hearing that voice, our vision of God would be diminished and incomplete. People at the economic margins are experts at understanding their poverty and should be listened to, not out of charitable instincts, but because that expertise is vital in understanding how we can best end the injustice of poverty. The report goes on to say, perhaps the most important and profoundly counter-cultural thing that churches can do in response to the cost of living crisis is to demonstrate day by day that people experiencing poverty have value. If people experiencing poverty were genuinely valued, then it would lead to some very different priorities and policy choices. It is hard to leave someone out when you value them to leave them out of making decisions that affect their life. You wouldn't leave someone you value without enough money to keep warm or eat or live in dignity. Convincing our churches, communities and decision makers that people battling poverty are valuable and made in God's image has the power to create change that will last well beyond this cost of living crisis that we find ourselves in. So to return to our gospel reading, even in death, the rich man chose to ignore Lazarus and instead called out to Abraham, the figure of authority, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. This shows that he did indeed recognize who Lazarus was, although he had done nothing at all to help him while he was still alive. In his reply, Abraham explained that between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us. 
this great chasm had formed during his lifetime, when the rich man had made no links whatsoever with Lazarus, no cares, no concern. Such a chasm between rich and poor. So what are the chasms in our lives today? Are they in wealth, in education, through politics or religion? Where do we see those divides? Within the spectrum of world wealth, many of us will find ourselves amongst the richest. What do we do to bridge these gaps? Jesus urges us to act on bringing these extreme divides closer before it is too late. The parable is suggesting that people have been told how to live through Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. But the rich man realizes that they, like him, have been too caught up in their own greed to be bothered to pay any attention to these. They have been too comfortable to need to concern themselves with anything else. Abraham suggests that if they will not heed the warnings from the prophets, it would not make any difference, even if someone came from the dead to give them the message. Do we heed the messages from the prophets? Do we hear what God is saying to us through the words of scripture, through the eyes of the poor, through the challenge of Jesus who lived and died and rose from the dead? Last Monday, Archbishop Justin Welby summed up the challenge to us at Queen Elizabeth's funeral. Those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. How do we respond to the injustices of power, privilege and wealth? Can we draw inspiration from the loving service which Justin Welby described? Does it offer to us a description of the values of God, values that we should uphold in this life if we love God. Listen again to the words from Paul's letter to Timothy. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. I don't think our passages today are telling us not to go on a holiday, not to enjoy going out for a special meal or going to, for a visit to the theatre, but just warning us not to ignore those we see along the way.
who might just go unnoticed if we only concern ourselves with the, those things which come from gaining wealth. Perhaps alongside going on holiday or spending an evening going out, we could put aside a tin of food for a food bank, prepare a sandwich to offer to someone, or include a few minutes of our time to stop and have a conversation to value those who are often shunned. What will it take for us to listen to God's voice? Someone risen from the dead? Our faith is one which proclaims Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and was raised to new life. Listen to his voice and act on it before it is too late. We are going to watch a short video clip from the Fund for Human Need, where some of the unnoticed people describe the difference that a small amount of money has made to their lives. The Fund for Human Need is a Methodist affiliated charity, which our church has chosen as a UK charity to support over the next couple of years. It offers grants of up to 120 pounds to people who are destitute, where a small amount of money will make a big difference. Have you heard God's voice? What is it saying to you and to me?